Hey there, ass kickers. This is an unusual introduction, not like my usual. I will get to the podcast episode in just a moment. This is not an ad. This is not a commercial. I beg you to not fast forward this. Last night, the night before the podcast was supposed to go live at 6 p.m., I sent an urgent email to my team saying, stop the presses, pause the podcast episode that's going out very, very early in the morning because I don't feel comfortable with it going out yet. I wanted to record this quick audio for you to talk about something that I said in the podcast that's been bothering me pretty much since I recorded this episode, I don't know, maybe a week and a half ago or so with Kate and... And yesterday I reached out to Kate and I said, remember that part in the podcast where I said this? What do you think about that? It's not sitting with me well. And she started laughing and she said, when you said that, I thought to myself, oh, that's going to piss some people off. And I was like, okay, then my gut is telling me that I need to do some thinking about this. I've been thinking about it and I decided not to edit out what I said in the podcast episode, but I do feel like I need to preface it and I need to explain because I care so much about y'all. All All right. So in the podcast episode, you will hear Kate and I talking about the Kavanaugh hearings and what happened with all of that. And there is a part in the episode where I say, for those people who think this, and I'm just going to wait until you listen to the episode, I said, fuck you. And I didn't just say it once from what I remember. I haven't gone back and listened to it. I said it more than once. And I think that there, in my community of listeners, there's going to be a lot of you who agree with what I said and feel the same pain and hurt of what I'm feeling. And I think that there's going to be some of you who don't agree with what I said. And you are in that camp of people who I'm talking about and who you might think I'm saying fuck you to you. I've had to take like 17 deep breaths before I recorded this extra intro, the intro to the intro. And I really went back and forth with taking it out and had to really do some thinking and some breathing and some soul searching on it and decided not to because A, that would be censoring myself and B, I still feel that way. And C, I know that I've told you that these episodes are conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people. These are not teaching episodes. These are a look into my own head, my own life, my own real conversations with my friends as we unpack our own stuff. This topic on rape culture, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, is probably the most heated the most charged for me personally. I still have a lot of unpacking to do on this. And then I was thinking, well, maybe then I shouldn't be talking about it over here. You know, I've gotten the advice from people like, don't talk about things that are super charged for you. But then I'm kind of like, well, yes, maybe I am making a huge mistake. Maybe I shouldn't do these episodes at all. Maybe in the new year, I'll stop doing them and shift gears. I don't know. But for the time being, I have decided not to edit it out. I have decided to keep it in there, but I want to say this. I want you to know that my anger throughout this whole topic for me, and specifically when that came up, it came from two places. It came from my own stuff, my own years and years and years and years of sexual harassment, of um, my own 
situations that have left me feeling powerless. It also even comes from the fact that I have a daughter and I am going to navigate this with her. She's only nine, but it will start shortly. The second place that it came from is the more that I learn about topics like this, I'm actually in two different classes right now. One is a class about liberation with Laren Alta, who's become a mentor to me. She's amazing. She's coming on the podcast in a few months. The other one just started. It's um, an anti-racism class. It's more of an um, just really anti-oppression class with Dr. T. Williams. He will also be on the podcast. And I'm going to talk more at length about these particular classes to hopefully have you sign up for them as well. But I wanted to get through them first to be able to fully endorse them. As I wake up to all of this and as I learn more and more about these types of topics, the realization that oppressed groups of people, in order for a culture to keep it up, to keep on with the oppression, I'm talking about women, I'm talking about people of color, I'm talking about trans people, I'm talking about disabled people, all of these marginalized groups, in order for a culture to keep marginalizing them, we have to dehumanize them. And more specifically, as I have this conversation with Kate, I am I feel the simmer of the feeling of being dehumanized as a woman. And as I watched the hearings and I watched online the conversations and the things that were being said about Dr. Ford, the dehumanization of her and to hear it come from women, that's where my anger was coming from. And where it also is coming from is the more and more that I see this, the more and more that I see the dehumanization of, of marginalized groups of people, and more specifically in this conversation, the more and more I see the dehumanization of women who have faced any kind of sexual assault like uh, Dr. Ford did, the more and more that I see the big picture. And the big picture, and I can't remember if I, I talk about it in this episode or the one that's coming out next week in part two with Kate, where it's all connected. The work that I do, every day to help women feel enough to drop behaviors like perfectionism and numbing out and isolating and people pleasing and being strong and overachieving. All of that is stemmed from the culture that we live in. We are taught those things the messaging that we receive, we are socialized to create these patterns, to behave this way, to think this way, to feel this way. And without getting too much into it, I'm going to stop there on that. And just please know that the last thing that I want to do is create a divide in this community. And my intention was never ever to hurt anyone's feelings or speak directly to one person. When I'm saying fuck you, I'm saying fuck you to this culture, to this society that's been created that keeps women down. I also want to say one quick thing about anger. And anger for me has never been a stranger. And I feel like I've always been an expressive person, especially emotionally. And truly there was a time where I had very poor emotional boundaries. I didn't know where I ended and another person began and didn't know how to express them in a healthy manner when I was in conversation and communicating with other people. And I still don't get it perfectly. I still don't get it perfectly, especially when it comes to feelings, uh, you know, the bigger ones, the, the, the more expressive ones like anger. I personally feel very comfortable expressing anger. And I know that there are a lot of women, especially women in this community, 
community that don't, that struggle with it. And so hopefully me expressing my anger will give you some permission and just the inspiration to trust yourself enough to feel your own. Your anger is warranted. Absolutely, a thousand percent, especially when it comes to this topic. Holy shit. I feel in some ways we need to be angry. We need to be angry. And it's not a but, it's an and. And when it comes to actual change, it can very much not be helpful. And that really is what prompted me to do this intro and feel like maybe that wasn't, maybe that wasn't the best way to express it. I feel like when we're in meaningful conversations with people around these very, very important topics, anger tends to shut things down. So I just wanted to say that real quick thing about anger. And at the end of the day, I am human and things don't come out perfectly and with elegance and the way that I probably want them to. And I'm still going through this with you as well. But again, my decision was to leave it in, but I really wanted to give you this intro to the intro. So without making you wait any further, here is your regularly scheduled program. This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 253. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am so glad that you're here. We have a special episode, the episode of conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people. My friend Kate Anthony is back on the show for one of these conversations, and she actually kicked it off for me way back when, when we had two episodes on diet culture that also talked about body image and all of the things involved with that. It ended up being two parts because we had so much to say about it. And then the last one I had was a few weeks ago with my friend Elizabeth D'Alto on all things race and topics surrounding that as well. I love these conversations and the feedback that I've gotten from y'all that it is helpful too and that you are enjoying them. I just love the name. Can I say it again? Conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people. I need some like special dramatic intro for that. That is coming. I am also in a really great mood because I am currently obsessed with a particular group of women that are in a program that I'm running called The Mentorship. And these women, y'all, are blowing my mind. It never ceases to amaze me how awesome it is to watch a group of women come together because a couple of things happen without fail. One thing is that they have major breakthroughs. It's kind of obvious, like when you dedicate yourself to this type of work, when you have skin in the game, when you have committed to the time and emotional effort and financial investment that it is, you will have breakthroughs. And the things that these women are doing and that they're supporting each other with, like, not that I think that that wouldn't happen, but it's like, it's so incredibly beautiful to watch. It just, Oh, I'm like a proud mama chicken over here with my little chicks. And it's just, I I could not be more proud of them and obsessed with them. The other thing that happens, and I guess this is directly related to the first thing, but it's the sense of community that is created 
there. This is a smaller group and their level of vulnerability and sharing things that they've never shared before, sharing things that are so scary for them and the support, the immediate support that comes in on that Facebook group and holding each other and just really letting each other know like you're not alone. And what ends up happening is that I'm not the one sort of like driving the bus they all pitch in and come together and everyone's supporting each other. And there's really just nothing like it. And I'm just, I'm just obsessed with them. And I know some of you guys listen to the podcast. So yes, you, all of you, it's been so incredibly beautiful to watch and not to mention what I, what I hear sometimes, and I heard it from two different women on my last retreat, which is, this is the same work that we're doing. It's the daring way work is that they say, I have had such a hard time trusting women for so long. Or one woman said, I've never trusted women. My mother was not there for me. And it's just been failed female relationship, friendship after another. And I've never trusted women. And this weekend has been the first time where I actually trust the people here. And I have hope that I can take this into my real personal life and trust women. And that, I mean, that made me cry. It just, it totally blew my mind, which actually prompted me. I am going to do a free Zoom call with y'all. And I'm going to talk about two things that I see coming up as I do this particular work with women, the work I do on my retreats and in the mentorship, two particular topics that I want to support you with. The first one is trusting women. Why we don't trust women, I'm going to answer that question, and I'm also going to answer the question how we can. How can we start to trust women again when we have been betrayed, when we have been turned against, when we have been stabbed in the back, where it just, we we have a lot of evidence that we should not be trusting other women. I'm going to talk about that, and I'm also going to talk about the concept of feeling good enough. Is it something that we just decide? Is it like a mindset thing where we just decide that we feel good enough and work from there? You know, we work on our thoughts. You know, you hear a lot of people that they do thought work. Is that how we get to feeling good enough or is it something else? This is something I've been doing for a long time with my people and in the training that I have, the multiple trainings that I have that very much point to this particular topic. I'm going to help you out. So that is on November 9th. That's a Friday at 1230 Eastern time. That's 930 Pacific. All you have to do is go to yourkickasslife.com slash call on that date and time. You don't need to sign up for anything. November 9th at 1230. Go to yourkickasslife.com slash call. I'm going to be there on video live. And if you can't make it live, don't sweat. We'll miss you for sure, but there will be a replay available for, I don't know how long, for a while. So don't, don't rush. Don't rush. It's okay. I'm not going to, you know, it's only available for an hour. So hurry up. No, it's not like that. I know y'all have really busy lives, but it's super fun. If you can come live, maybe it's on your lunch break and you can at least come for part of it and say, hi, I would love for you to be on video. If you can't, cause you're at work then I understand you can also just turn your video off and we'll make it work. I will also be taking questions and telling you also about my retreat in May because that's what this work is all about, trusting and feeling good enough. That's what it's all about. That was corny. Anyway, getting to the topic of today's conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people. 
My unqualified people today is, again, my friend Kate Anthony. And this one was tricky, okay, because we're talking about, girl, we're talking about rape culture and we're talking about Me Too movement and what's going on. Well, you know, what's happened over here in the States with the U.S. um, Supreme Court seat slash nomination slash hearing of Brett Kavanaugh and all that that went down. And it's a lot to unpack. Last week I had Rebecca Bastching on and as you as you know, I mean there were some moments in that podcast episode where I'm like I was not my best self. <laughs> I probably should have not said that or I probably should have done a little bit of my own work on that. But you know that's why I had her on as the expert in all of this and I wanted to have this particular episode, not so much as a teaching episode, but just an honest conversation about unpacking this. And here's the thing I want you to know before I release this conversation to you. Number one, I feel like it goes without saying, but I need to say it anyway. Again, this is this is not one of the episodes where I am teaching you, here's this step-by-step process. You know, those are the episodes where I show up as my you know, I try my best, but my most professional best self, that is my work self. And, you know, as you know, I think a lot of you, the reason that you like this podcast is because I'm relatable. I am as authentic as I possibly can be. And, but that's not to say, you know, those are still teaching episodes. This particular episode, I, in a sense, let my hair down and it's a little bit of a different tone because Kate and I still have a lot of unpacking to do. That's the point of these conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people. Emphasis on unqualified. And, you know, I had one colleague say, like, aren't you worried about ruining your reputation? And I'm kind of like, A, no, because I feel like if somebody questions my reputation, well, then you're probably not a great fit for me. I take pride in the fact that I want y'all to know that I don't have the answer to absolutely positively everything. I don't. I'm still working through some of my own shit. And this topic especially is one of them. This is a big ass topic. And I brought Kate on because for many reasons, she's one of my dearest friends. I talk to her pretty much every day and I know she's still unpacking it too. Here's the thing I'm kind of like stalling telling you. Y'all know when these intros are really long that I'm like, oh, I've got to tell you this thing. I had planned. There was bullet points that Kate and I wrote out ahead of time, just certain topics that we wanted to make sure that we didn't miss and that we stayed mostly on topic. And one of the bullet points was that I wanted to make sure that both Kate and I shared our assault stories that we felt the most triggered by. I have I have several stories and I would say that mine are more kind of in the category of harassment, pretty bad harassment. And there was one, there's one particular thing that happened to me when I was 19 that I wanted to talk about and also didn't want to talk about. It's one of those things that I've told this story to a couple of friends. I told the story to my therapist and I'm not, this is what I was telling Kate, is that I'm not entirely sure I have told the story in its entirety out loud. I have replayed the story many, 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 many times in my head. And it is also something that I have gotten help with more recently over the last four years because because it is a story that came out 
when I was in my training for The Daring Way, when we talked about our shame stories, there was this one thing that came out and it was something that I had never, I had always blamed myself. I had always thought that it wasn't that big of a deal. Well, you know, it was, it was an assault, but it wasn't violent. I actually liked the person. I actually got myself into that predicament and then it went sideways and I didn't know how to handle it. And I was young and and just excuses, excuses, excuses as to why I made up. It wasn't that big of a deal in order to protect myself. And so while Kate and I are having this conversation, I'm like watching the time go by and I am just like, procrastinating and dragging my feet about bringing up the story and saying it during our conversation. So she and I ended the call. Y'all, it's an hour and 15 minutes just of her and I talking. This is the probably the longest episode out of all 260 some episodes I've had. And so I messaged her and I said, you know what? I didn't tell my story and I had planned on it. And I had mentioned it in the episode last week with Rebecca that I was going to tell it. And I chickened out. And I thought, well, maybe I could tell it in the intro by myself as I'm doing right now. And then the thought of doing that made me just like, I was like, it was an instant like, no, because I do believe it's more vulnerable to do that alone, even though I'm here with my dog. I needed Kate to be there. And I know all of you are here, but it is a little bit of a different situation. So I needed Kate there. And I said, can we do a part two where I can tell that story and you're with me? And she agreed. And so that is coming next week. If we can make the stars align to jump on and be able to record again, if it doesn't come out next week, never fear. It's just because our schedules got mixed up and we will do it the following week. She and I both have, and we're on totally different time zones. So it's, it's kind of tricky getting us to be able to, to get on the phone together. It's coming. And my reason for wanting to do it, I have a couple of reasons. I think for my own healing to be able to tell the story. And P.S., I do not ever, ever think that that's a part of everyone's healing to tell their story on a platform like mine. I think it works for some people. And I think if you can even just tell one person, then that is a tremendous step in your healing. The other thing is that I am committed to showing y'all what courage looks like for me. And again, courage might look different for you. And I am ready to tell the story. It's one of those things that's like, are we ever truly, truly, truly ready? When I came out with my sobriety story, when I had one year of sobriety, I have seven now, but when I had one year, I was ready, but I wasn't ready. And it's the same thing with this. In order for me to make sense of all of this, in order for me to heal from it and forgive my 19-year-old self for the mistakes that I made and just truly, truly accept the fact that it was in fact not my fault and to continue to unpack my own unconscious misogyny, my own participation in patriarchy. This is part of that process for me. And again, I don't I don't think it's that process for everyone, but I like to be able to show you what that looks like for me in hopes that you can find whatever healing you need to do and walk towards that. All right, so this has gone on for about 15 minutes. I'm done dragging my feet on this. So without further ado, here is Conversations About Shit That Matters with Unqualified People with your host, Andrea Owen, and my dear friend, Kate Anthony. Kate Anthony, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, Andrea. You like my professional podcasting voice? 
I do. I feel like I've mastered it after 150 something episodes. No, excuse me, <laughs> 250 something episodes. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. You're my hero. You're my I have hero. a lot. I have a lot. I have a lot of practice. How are you? How are you doing today? Let's start there. You know, I'm good. I I have to say that you know, since since your audience knows my my story, most of them anyway, um, I am finally getting my strength back at the gym, and so. While that makes me feel really good, like I keep going when I'm in class and stuff, Michelle will text me afterwards and say, like, you've totally killed it. And I'm like, yes. And I feel it. I feel my strength coming back. But it also means that I'm really exhausted yeah. <laughs> after class. Being 40 something. Mm -hmm. Everything. I'm, you know, 47 years old, giving it everything I can and peak. And I'm like, ah. But so I feel good. I'm just a little like, whew, man. Tired. That was a hard workout, but I'm tired, but I'm good. I'm good today. How are you today, Andrea? <clears throat> I'm feeling a little emo. I wonder if I'm going to start my period <laughs> soon. I was listening <laughs> to Florence and the Machine, and <laughs> if people don't know who that is, please stop everything that you're doing. Go to Spotify or wherever you get music and listen to all of Florence's songs. Yeah. Um, she's she's one of those artists that speaks to me, and, and I know yeah. I'm one. And uh, the song is called... I think it's called Sky Full of Song. It's from this year. She, she It mm -hmm. was released this year. And mm -hmm. I was listening to it and I had never heard it before. And I'm like listening to it in the car and I'm listening to the lyrics. I'm like, oh my God, this about sums up my love addiction. And I'm crying. And then I was, um, I had a hair appointment this morning and my hairdresser's a Republican. So we were debating and we have good banter. And, but sometimes I'm like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> You're kidding with that comment, right? So I, it's, it's been a good lesson for me to have these real conversations in person with people and, um, and not fly off the handle and be respectful because, as you know, we can't have these conversations and be heard with, you know, telling someone that they're dumb. Not going to work. Yeah. I was, I was listening to NPR this morning and they're doing a whole series, I don't know, uh, you know, going to different regions in elections that are in swing states or in, you know, it, we're not a swing state, obviously, but in, in regions that matter, right? For mm -hmm. Kate's uh, in, in California, for those of you that don't know. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm in California, but they're doing it nationally. Like it's the national NPR um, is doing it, but they were here in your old stomping grounds in, they were in Huntington Beach mm -hmm. and they were talking to, they talked to two different people. And it was really interesting. There was this one woman who was like, I think she was saying that people were calling her a racist because she's a Trump supporter and how she was like, I'm so not a racist. And I don't understand, you know, if you met me, you would see that I was like the nicest person or whatever. And this other woman who was a Democrat was like, I just don't think it's helpful. Like, I don't think it's helpful for us to go around calling people racist people because guys. it immediately shuts the conversation down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can have that debate. We can talk about all of those things that we're not here to talk about today. But anyway, that there are so many ways in which, and we've actually had this conversation a number of times offline about how to keep the dialogue open versus how to, how to shut it down. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, and different ways of keeping the dialogue open. And I think that that's a huge piece of um, where we're at right now For is sure. finding ways to keep dialogues open and not shutting them down. So good for you for keeping the dialogue open with your hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. He's funny and great. And I, I was having this conversation on Facebook. There was a friend of mine, Facebook friend of mine who posted something about how she 
God bless her. She said something to the effect of, every time I see a person of color in a, within a group of people that's by themselves, I make it a point to go and sit with that person and have a conversation. And I read yeah. that and I was like, wow. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, how, okay, how do you react to that when you hear that? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I read that and was like, good for you, but what you're doing on Facebook is called performance activism. That's like, hey, and I know this person and I'm pretty sure that's what she was doing. You're talking about the fact that they decided to promote that or say exactly. that. Oh, Not I the fact that she did it. Yeah. Like, good for her, for whatever, for noticing that that person was by themselves and not being included, which I kind of feel like we should do that to all people. But I, this is not like an all lives matter thing at all. But the, <laughs> her doing, posting it on Facebook, yeah, I felt like, and I and I know this person, so I, and then I really thought that it was performance activism, which which what that is, y'all, and I have so done this in the past, and then I realized it and was like, oh, okay. It's when you are trying to get people to think that you're a good, not racist, good white person. Like, hey, everybody. <laughs> Look at me. Look at I have how black friends not and racist I, I am. <laughs> Look over here at me being not racist. Right. Smiling. Right. Another person posted, commented and said, this post makes me feel weird. And she was like, weird mm -hmm. how? And then the person basically said what I just said. And then mm -hmm. two more people commented in that thread and said, yeah, I felt mm -hmm. the same way. And she went off. And I, I commented too when I was, I was trying to be very white friendly and like, hey – you know, here's as as I understand, this is what this is. We're not mad that you did it. Like, good for you. It's just posting it on social media is is not. She was basically like, I'm trying to to tell people what's important and send a message, and I'm like, I get that, but it's just it's a no. But anyway, in my post to her, I said what I'm doing is having conversations like with people in real life. You know, like PTA moms and. And my hairdresser and um, it's just – that's how you – I think that's how change is created at a grassroots level. Just think yeah. social media is – people can hide behind the keyboards. And also, P.S. on this topic and then we'll move into the, the real topic we were talking about. We're going to talk about – I'm reading the book, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Oh, wow. Okay. It's so good. Is All it? white people need to read it. I have to okay. read it really slow because <sighs> – it's so rich and there, there's so much information packed into it. And I'm doing a lot of highlighting and going back and reading things. And it's, I'm, I'm only, honestly, I'm only like on chapter two and there's so much that I've, I've learned already. And, and basically, you know, how oh, I don't even, I don't even want to get into it. I'll save it for another time because we okay. really need to get to the topic. <laughs> I know you and I will talk and talk and talk and people are like, I thought this was about something else. Another episode of, uh, of Conversations About Shit That Matters with Unqualified People. We'll talk about that. Okay. We'll talk about that. I'll read it and then we'll like do a little book club uh, reenactment or something. Uh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> but we're going to talk about another light topic. <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, I will have a title for it. But I think we're talking about rape culture. We're talking about a few different things. And I think what I wanted this episode to be is – sort of you and I not being experts at this. And again, this is what these episodes are, is you and I sort of unpacking our own stuff within this. Right. And this is not at all meant to be, and this is kind of a warning for you, Kate. I'm just kidding. This is not at all like a, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Flipping tables. How did this happen? That would no. be not helpful. And again, and I don't think that's helpful. I love that you have to you had to warn me about that. <laughs> I, I, given the invitation, <laughs> I know you'd run with it. That's why I love you. Exactly. 
exactly. No, but again, I don't think that's helpful, right? It's just as helpful as calling Republicans racist. Like, that's not it's helpful. It's not helpful at all. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, we've talked about this. If we're going to, if, if we're going to identify rape culture, let's identify rape culture because, you know, we started talking about, about rape culture and, and I, and I said, and I told this story to you and I'll tell, um, our listeners here that, um, I was talking about rape culture with my son and he's 13 and he was really confused. He was like, what do you mean rape culture? He's like, we don't, live in a culture that likes rape. We don't, we don't go around raping people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, so he was taking the term Um, literally. He was taking the term literally. And I think that's, and again, I think that that's another way that we divide that it gets really divisive when we talk about, when we point out rape culture, this is why men get super defensive. (laughs) I've never like legitimately raped someone. Right. I'm, I'm assuming that that's what they think held someone down, like that kind of like more violent rape that we think of. Yeah. Right. And also, and also that we don't live in a culture that supports and promotes rape. Right. I mean, in many ways we do. Right. But when we call it rape culture, I think it's confusing to people who are still trying to figure out what the hell we're talking about. Yeah. So it's helpful to back it up and actually define it. Like, what is rape culture? Yeah. Well, I think I think for me, what was helpful in learning about it was these like kind of small things that we as a culture have normalized that create rape culture. So it, you know, it, it's um, it's a society that accepts these certain things, and so just you know, quickly to sort of flip through them, it's oh god, this makes me sick. <laughs> I'll start with, you know, slut shaming. And and yeah. God, I'm like raised hand over here. I have spent a lot of time slut shaming, shaming myself. Yep. yep. Um, you know, joking about it, shaming other women for their decisions and their partners, their, you know, their amount of partners, the choices that they've made. Victim blaming is another mm-hmm. form of uh that attributes to rape culture. Coerced yeah. consent. Oi. Mm. Yeah. You know, okay, quick story. My ex-husband, one of the ways he got me to sleep with him, I mean, I would have slept with him anyway, but (laughs) I I wouldn't have done it as quickly as I did, but he would say to me things like, I bet you're terrible in bed. He's like, mm-hmm. I, he would say like, oh, I bet you just like lay there I remember and do you, nothing. Oh my God. I and I was like, like <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's coerced consent. It's just yeah. like that kind of like, let me talk you into this mm-hmm. instead of making it like a, you know, a mutual decision. I mean, there were other things that he said and, and did, but yeah. Yeah. yeah you told me about those. Yes. Yes. And you, you know, the, all- the blue balls. Um, uh, oh, blue balls. If you oh, loved me, you would do it. One. Don't be a tease. Yeah. That was the one that I got in high school a lot. That was the one that had all of the senior boys. Can I tell this story now? That I had all the senior boys surrounding me um, and calling me a slut and a cock tease because I um, flirted with them, but I didn't sleep with them. So, uh, and this was, I was a sophomore and the senior boys who – now, I went to Stuyvesant High School in New York City, and that's where the Beastie Boys went. And these – these <laughs> You know that, right? <laughs> so these were like when the Beastie Boys 
graduated. These were, um, I think these boys were like sophomores or juniors when the beasties were seniors. So they were kind of the beastie underlings. They were Mm -hmm. the ones that sort of took over that role in the school. And when I got to school, one of them I had known since nursery school. So when I got to the school, the senior boys were all like, wanted to hang out with me. You know, I had like an intro to the senior boys. So I was really cool. And so I got invited to all the parties and I also came from an all girls private school. So I didn't know how to act around boys Uh at all. And I was flirty and I was nowadays it would just, whatever. I was probably too flirty, but also whatever. The fact that I didn't sleep with them, that I didn't follow through on my flirtations, they, one day I left school and they were waiting for me outside with eggs and shaving cream and they completely egged me. They shaving creamed me and then they encircled me. So all these senior boys, and I was a sophomore, brand new to the school, and they all stood around me in a circle and started screaming at me, calling me a cock tease and a slut, and that I would never, you know, that they would, like, basically kill my reputation in the school and, like, all of this, like, all of it. Nice. Yeah. That's, you know, friendly. It was great. No, it was really awesome. It was really awesome. Oh, God. I didn't go to school for a while after that. (laughs) That, Yeah. So it's it's examples like that and revenge porn Mm, is part of rape culture. Yeah. As well as – it's really, you know, just the belief that men are entitled to women's bodies, that they feel entitled to be able to grope and touch women's bodies and that it's no big deal and that it's a compliment – that is part of rape culture and, and you know, mm-hmm. the fact that we as a society worry more about a man's reputation than a woman's trauma. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it it's, oh God, you know, this idea, the belief that men are entitled, you know, given the work that I do, right, with women trying to decide whether or not to leave their marriages, I, I hear a lot of stories and you'd be surprised how many times I hear from women that their husbands have, um, had sex with them while they were passed out mm-hmm. and that I have to educate them that their husbands are raping them because we don't, we just don't think of it that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They don't think of it that way. It's hard, it's a hard to, it's hard to wrap your brain around that. First of all, that your husband raped you, um, but they know there's something wrong or they wouldn't be telling me, right. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be coming to me with this information if they didn't already feel and know that there was something off about this. Yeah. Well, and you know, and just and to say that this is this is one of those things that's and the reason that I wanted to have one of these episodes with you is because this is the sort of things that I've been sort of unpacking mm-hmm. um over the last handful of years and and one of the things that came up for me and I've kind of thought about this girl over the years but I was looking through my senior year high school um yearbook for some reason or another. This was a while back. And I was flipping through it and I noticed, um, it must've been, she must, yeah, she must've been a junior when I was a senior and there was this girl and her first name was Jenny and she and I were not friends, but there was a story that had gone around about her and I was friends with some girls that were juniors and my, this one particular friend, her name was Regina. She hated Jenny and said, and they called her carrot fucker. And I'm like, why do you Mm. call her carrot fucker? So apparently at a party, and this was the story. It wasn't like she – the story didn't go Jenny did it on purpose. The story went that she had passed out and that Jenny's boyfriend got a carrot and oh. used it on her in oh front of his friends. 
And I mean, this was pre-cell phone days. This was the early 90s. Thank goodness, I guess. If there's a thank goodness in this, yeah, it's that there was no pictures. But so this story went around about this girl and she was nicknamed Carrot Fucker. And in my yearbook, Regina had taken a Sharpie and written Carrot Fucker across this girl's face in my yearbook. And I remember, I remember back then that hearing that story making me feel a little bit sick, but not doing it, not saying anything about it, like going along with the joke and the dislike and distaste of this girl. Mm. But, but kind of, you know, and it, maybe it was a little bit unconscious, but I, I distinctly remember feeling like, but she didn't, I mean, what? Like it's conf- what it was confusing. Yeah. And I've, I've thought about her so many times over the years and she has such a common last name, like to try to find her on Facebook. And she and I were never really friends, but I remember seeing her at school and, and just my heart just broke for her. And then there was this other girl too, that she, God, I'm just remembering this. She had apparently broken up with this boy that they were dating and then she didn't like him anymore. And she broke up with him and he, remember, do you remember underground newspapers? Anybody? Did you have those at your yeah, school? Okay. Totally. So there was this underground newsletter thing that went around about her. Uh, I think her name was Julie and she was beautiful. And he wrote the most awful, violent poem about her using her first (sighs) and last name and talked about slicing her breasts like salami. And it was bad. It was so bad that, I mean, all of us were like, wow, like you have crossed the line. He was so furious with her for breaking up with him and she dropped out of school. Mm. And so it's- it's I yeah. Mean, that one's pretty pretty bad, but it's like these kind of these things that happen that mm. uh, and like that kid didn't get kicked out of school, right? He stayed. Right. He got to stay. Yeah. I you know I have I had a story from when I was I think I was in maybe ninth grade, and I like I said I went to this all girls private school, and. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your story. Like that is no, that was the end of it. I just actually remembered it. It's just awful, right? That he gets to stay in school and she drops out, drops out because she's scared. It's just she's scared and humiliated and totally fucking humiliated. Yes, and that's probably at that point in her life, it was more about the humiliation than the than fear. Like I almost feel like in these in these situations when we were younger, certainly when we were in high school, like we didn't even know to be afraid. That's what's so weird to me sometimes. I did, but I questioned it. Right. Right. We're like, that doesn't seem right, but oh well. It's fine. Yeah, it's It's fine. fine. It's fine. Yep. Totally. So when I was in about, it was either eighth or ninth grade, I went to this all-girls private school. And like I said, I did not know, I didn't have brothers, and I didn't know how to be with boys other than in chaperoned dance like experiences, right? Mm. Like that was the only time I was with boys was when it was a dance and they were chaperoned. So there was obviously this like otherness about a boy that were sort of set up as being sexual or partnering or something that needed to be observed, Mm. (laughs) right? And so we started having crushes on these boys from this neighboring boys school. And every day after school, we would go over and we would like just happen to be standing across the street from where they got out mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like a gaggle of girls. <laughs> like, give me a break. It was like a bus ride away, by the way. 
And so eventually we started hanging out with them and doing things on the weekends. And one weekend we went to see a movie. We went to see, <laughs> this is going to age me. Um, we went to see uh, the movie Chud. Do you remember that movie? No. Chud? Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. I do not. That must have been a New York City thing. <laughs> that was a movie. That was a horror movie. It was like a, you know, a B horror movie. I thought you were going to say the movie Ghost. No. <laughs> also from the early 90s. Right. No, this was from the 80s, from the mid 80s. Okay. And because I'm so much older than you. <laughs> so I sit between the two two boys that I kind of had a crush on both of them. They were both like the cooler ones. And they just, they asked, I, both of them were like, I want to sit next to Katie. And so like I was in the middle and halfway through the movie, one of them starts like, gra- like holding my hand. And I was like, oh my God. And then the other one reaches and holds my other hand. And I'm now going like, a little panicked and I don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm like 14, 15 and I really didn't know what to do. And like, they're both like stroking my hands and like up my arm and sort of like heading for the boob area. And I'm like literally panicked. Like yeah. I don't know what to do and I don't do anything because I was so codependent. I didn't want to rock the boat. I was such a people pleaser. And also like, who knows what to do in that situation? Well, like, whose parents crazy. actually like tell them? Right. I'm if like taking notes because I'm like, oh yeah, I need to talk to my kids time. about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not today, but <laughs> right. exactly. inapplicable. So we leave the movie theater and they start, uh, there was a um, Burger King commercial at the time. And the song for it was, there was one. And we made it for you, but it was too good not to be too. It was like a double something. <laughs> and they start singing that. And then they start, there was a, a radio station in New York at the time called WKTU, which I think is still around. And they start going, brought to you by WKTU, Katie, totally used. And it suddenly what? dawns on me that this entire thing was pre-planned. That they decided, both of them, to sit next to me on either side so that they could do this to me Mm -hmm. and then taunt me for it. And for the next year, they continued to um, taunt me. They They had DJs at school dances scream KTU and sing the Burger King song. Like, this went on for a year. Yeah. It was, yeah, anyway. Blurg. Yeah. I need to take a break to throw up. (laughs) Well, no, I'm just – I'm remembering – and I'm sure I'm making up that the listeners are remembering stories, you know, from their younger years that are, 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 you know, kind of coming back. And yeah, I'm remembering one too from my very first boyfriend. And all I wanted to do was make out. I didn't – I was in ninth grade. I didn't want to do anything except make out. I didn't even really want him to fill me up. And he would in the car with his hand over – with his arm over my shoulder – and would grope me. And it was, it would mm-hmm. freak me out because his mom was driving and oh. we were in the back seat. Oh, and I'm like, nice. It's like a Danny Zuko move. It was so, yes, it was so <laughs> creepy. And yeah. um, I just, A, I didn't want to because I didn't want to. And B, I didn't want to because his mom was in the car. And, yeah. but it's like one of the, and then he ended up breaking up with me because I wouldn't do anything else with him. I don't know how I had the wherewithal to actually say no, like when we were alone, which wasn't very often, but he broke up with me with a note and told me in the note, I feel like we're just, I feel like we're just friends who hold hands. And I was like, well, what's wrong with that? (laughs) (laughs) 
Right? Yeah. And so also, I was brokenhearted. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I wanted to add about my story um, about the KTU was that I was there with a bunch of my girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And they all looked at me like I was such a disappointment and a failure and a slut. Yeah. And they all put me in the cab and they were just like, they were sort of shaking their heads and like, I can't believe you. That is so disgusting. Mm-hmm. And so it was a complete victim shaming um, and victim blaming experience. That was my first victim blaming experience. Yeah. yeah. Gross. Actually, okay. it was my second, but. <laughs> <laughs> but who's counting? Right. Exactly. Counting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's sort of shift gears. Okay. Well, what, what do you think? I was I was thinking about toxic masculinity, and I don't know if you want to go there yet. Do you sure. want to go there? Sure. Well, so sure. yay! So let's define toxic masculinity as I under see again as I understand it, right? And here's the thing: is that one of the most important things to me when I have these conversations is how do we invite men into these conversations? Yeah. Because so much of these conversations. Um, are anti-man or, and and they're not right, but I can see how they can certainly appear that way when we're telling our experience and we're talking about these horrible things that men have done to us. And I think it's really important to recognize that men are just as much victims of rape culture as we are. I agree. Men have been taught that this is how they respond to and deal with women, mm-hmm. that this is how they respond to their urges, that this is how they – like all of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and that's another part of rape culture too is, you know, like dress coding girls only and, you know, that it's a distraction to boys and basically saying that that boys and men are these creatures who cannot control their urges and they're like wild animals and it's up to us to figure that out for them. <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> and help them. Or or like help help them not do that by covering up. By covering sh- up. And not cover- wearing tight pants and things like that. Yeah, no spaghetti straps, no short uh. skirts, etc. I agree with you and I not that I ever want to compare anything to racism because it is it's it's such its own thing, but it <sighs> The way that I feel about it, you know, when I read the, as I'm reading the book, White Fragility, and, and she's, the author is talking about how it's very much like the analogy of the fish in the water, you know, the two fish are in mm-hmm. the water and the one fish says to the other, how's the water today? And the fish says, what water? What water? So yeah. it's like, you're not even realizing that this is what we've been born into. This is the messaging that we have received, that we have been socialized a certain way, both men, both genders. And yeah. that... It's not helpful for us to say to someone, you're such a fucking racist. You are a terrible human being. It's the same to men, you know, as we're outraged looking at Brett Kavanaugh, because we all know a Brett Kavanaugh. We all know that guy who's a little bit or a lot rapey. And it's, it's so, I feel like for many of us, and I can only speak from my own experience, the easiest thing to access is anger because we are, we're reliving our own shit. And I think that that's, it's righteous. I think it's it's. Uh, I get it. And when we're done, <laughs> I think that we need to really understand that this is a culture that they've grown up in, and it's the messaging that they've received. And yep. although I think that he could have handled it very, very differently, for the record, I really think that it would have been different had he said, "I don't remember doing that." If I did, I. Like he could have apologized from such a heartfelt place and said, 
it's unacceptable that this is the culture that we're, you know, like there's, there's been so that, many people that have written well, like was, great apologies yeah, for him. The, yeah. That was the thing for me was that, you know, look, I, I know that guy. I, I was yes, raped by that we, guy. We know that guy. Um, um, I know that guy really well. He's my rapist, literally. I mean, I said to my, I said to, to Ray on the phone the week that it happened, I was like, yeah, so I was, it was great watching my rapist testify in front of the Supreme Court. And he was like, oh my God, you're so right. That's him. That's Raise him. Raise your BFF, right? Raise my BS, my BFF. Yeah. Okay. And, um, who knows my rapist and was like, oh my God, you literally had to sit and watch your rapist testify. Exactly. Literally exactly. He's, he's that guy. He looks like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, it could have, it could have been different. It could have been so different if he had said, oh my God, oh my God, I don't remember. And yeah, I drank a lot in college and, or in high school and, you know, I don't remember this, but if she's saying that this happened, I take full responsibility. And like, if he had just done that, we would all have been like, we would have oh, had our mouths hanging open. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And I think it would have been, it would have been a lot, a whole different situation. And can I just say this too, for the record, what, and you and I have never discussed this, but I think the thing that feels like such a fucking slap in the face is when people, <laughs> and so many women have said this, mm-hmm. well, you know, after, after Dr. Ford testified, well, I believe her that it happened, but I don't believe that it was Brett Kavanaugh. And I'm just like, yeah. fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck that you. is we like never, throwing everybody a bone. Like, oh, look at me. I actually, I do believe forget. women. I do. I'm a good white person. I believe women, but I don't think it was him. No, fuck you. No, no, seriously. <laughs> I can't. That is the thing. I'm like on Instagram, re, you know, reading people argue back and forth. And I it's everything in my body to not respond, especially when it's these women who are like mothers. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I, am, right. I am not or a good person in those moments. I'm not. I'm boys. not a good person. I'm nope. not. No, I mean, I'm I'm oh. I'm with you on that. I'm with oh, you on that. Like such a slap you know, in the being face. a survivor, I, like I will, n- I was unconscious for my rape and I know exactly who did it. I know, you know, uh, like I don't know any of the details. I don't know what day it was. I don't know what year it was. I don't, you know, I can kind of guess because I knew that we were dating in these years. But the things that I remember so fucking clearly are my, our friend Rhett saying to him before we left the party, hey, she's drunk. Don't do anything stupid while she's passed out. I don't know how I remember that. I don't. Uh I was drunk. (laughs) I was really drunk. I remember, I don't know how we got home. I remember waking up in the morning and being sticky and having my underwear around my ankles and wondering how the hell that happened. And I remember him sort of vaguely remember him sheepishly saying that, you know, he, that I had moaned. So I must've liked it mm-hmm. while I was passed out. So like there are, you know, there are things that are so clear to me and the idea, like a, a, a victim never forgets who, who assaulted her ever. It's one of the things that, you know, and she was the best witness that you could imagine. Cause she actually took the science, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And like, was like, no, 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 here's how it works. You know, you're, um, what, what, what's the part of your brain that, um, anyway, that, that remembers that, that this is the smart part, the smart part. That's the smart part. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know the, I keep wanting to say the, the hypotenuse, but that's not oh. hypothalamus. It wasn't the hypothalamus though. It was the, 
Hippocampus. Hippocampus. The other H one. Mm-hmm. The other H one. So anyway, yes, I'm in agreement with you. I'm in agreement with you. And that I think it part. could have been really different. Mm-hmm. I just I Th- that's yep. that's what I have. I have a lot of forgiving to do, and I need to do my own work on that. Are there people saying I believe it happened, but I don't think that that he did it? I feel like if I were her, that that would hurt the most. Well, and this is this sort of brings us around to a conversation that we've had a few times about the fact that, like, what does it mean? What would it mean for them to have to to admit that they believed her and that it was him? Because we all know that guy, mm-hmm. because many women are married to that guy. Yeah. Um, he's so familiar. He is an archetype for many women to admit it, to say, I actually believe her. And I think he did this. They're saying, my husband does this to me on a regular basis. They're saying my, uh, you know, this happened to me. This, you know, oh, my, it happened my, to my friend and my sister it happened to and my I- Friends, my sh- brother yeah. did it. I didn't, and I blamed her. And I did right. The what the degrees to which we have to um, look at ourselves, and you know what it is, what it is that we are unfolding and willing to, and having to face in our own histories in our own lives. It is a it's a denial mechanism, and I frankly don't know that it's a conscious one. I don't think it is. I absolutely I, being someone who used to be that woman. I absolutely, absolutely positively don't think it's a conscious one. Right. Absolutely. I think it's a, I think it's self-preservation. It's protecting uh, the patriarchy at all costs. Yes. That's what I think it is. It is. I used to do it and too. That, and that's an, that's an internal patriarchy. Right. It's not just the patriarchy, our cultural patriarchy. It's the internalized patriarchy. It's internalized misogyny. Um, well, and, and I think too, what it has to do with is, is class and status. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for these women to really turn their head and look at the truth of the matter is going to require them to dig deep and look at layers of pain that they sure as shit don't want to. It's going Absolutely. to have to have them admit that the men in their life are seriously flawed. It's going to yeah. have to have them admit that the culture at large is seriously flawed. And it's mm-hmm. also going to have, there's so many things. It also is going to have to have them be, um, a traitor to their own, yep. to their own, either their political party or their beliefs or their, all of that. It's going to have to have them probably just do work that they aren't, they might not be ready to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is that, you know, part of this denial is that our brains and our bodies um, shield us from trauma. And so especially if these women have experienced it, it's going to, it's going to require uncovering trauma and the the brain doesn't allow you to do that safely, right? Unless it's safe, right? Unless it's sort of helped and guided and all of those things, because facing and feeling the trauma is terrifying and traumatic, (laughs) right? So there, we have systems that protect ourselves from that. Yes, that smarty brain science stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember the other thing that I was thinking of that I forgot about momentarily. I think that what it means for women, especially to have to admit that is Mm -hmm. that, and I think this is largely unconscious. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not, but it's, you know, if I am that woman and if I have to admit that this is going on, it also means that 
I, and when I say like protecting the patriarchy, what I mean is, you know, and what I see, this is over and over again with white women. And I, and I think that largely my audience is this person. And what I have seen is that, and what I have experienced, again, unconscious, if I question this, if I challenge toxic masculinity, the patriarchy, misogyny, then I am turning against a construct that I have largely benefited from my mm-hmm. entire life as a white yep. woman. Having, yep. you know, men be entitled, white men be entitled to fucking everything, <laughs> not just women's bodies, but everything. Right. Then what does that mean for me? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, everything unravels. It, every this it, I think that it's all I think that it's all in this piece, right? I feel like this is the nucleus of it all. Um, and I don't, I don't have a solution. I, I mean, I, yeah, like, Shit, we're why did I have you come on here? God damn we're it. To- we're totally unqualified <laughs> to talk about this because we don't have the solution. It's just like, wow, yeah, this really fucking sucks. Well, I'm like, okay, um, and then it becomes the question, like, how do we talk to women and, and have them understand this? Because like, I know you're in, yeah. you're in LA, but I'm in rural North Carolina where I have yeah. found like two friends who... <laughs> Who I can text and send like angry gifts back and forth to about stuff like this. But, you know, I I have these friendships with these women. And by and large, I am not Andrea Owen, life coach, author, and podcaster them. I am Andrea Colton and Sydney's mama. And Mm -hmm. so – I have, you know, these friendships with them and, and a lot of them are surface level, fr- level friendships. And I, I, I assume, I don't know, they don't have stickers on their cars, but I assume a lot of them um, have different beliefs than I do and probably would, you know, raise an eyebrow with this conversation. So then the question becomes, how do I, how do I have this conversation? And I don't think it is a planned thing. I think, I think it just is kind of organic and just happens. I don't know. How do I do it, Kate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You say, um, listen to my podcast. It was a great no. episode of my podcast. Um, well, I think it's organic, I just kind know. of like the conversation I had this morning with my hairdresser. I don't even remember how it came up. Oh, I think I was telling him. I remember how it came up. I was telling him about the Netflix series. And if you guys haven't watched it, there's four of them now. Um, they uh, Tom Hanks produced it. Actually, it started on CNN. It's the different decades. Yeah. Uh, it started with the 60s, 70s, 80s, and they just released the 90s. And mm-hmm. um, Jason and I were watching it, and it, they were talking about Clinton's presidency and – when he first started, I was not old enough to vote. And even if I was, I probably would not have because I was too busy. I was too busy participating in toxic masculinity with my boyfriend. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But um, anyway. I'm holding the patriarchy. Anyway, I was busy all by myself. No, but I was, that's what I was talking to my hairdresser about was this episode. And we started talking about Clinton's – and he's older than I am. So he was – we were conversing about it and, and, and then we started talking about Hillary Clinton and then we started talking about other things politics. And so I think that you can, that's sort of an example of how, how a conversation can go in that direction. And Mm -hmm. for me personally, what I have to be very mindful of is to pay attention to my breathing because I get very heated and emotional about things, especially this, especially this. Mm -hmm. And I, I all think to myself, like, what the fuck? Like, but I, it's helpful for me to remember that nothing changes when we get angry and it's best just to get curious. Mm. Ask curiosity yeah. questions. Yeah, curiosity is hard for me in this arena. Me too. You know, I, I it's like I don't want to know. I don't actually want to know your thought process. I mean, I 
I mean, yeah, it's really, it's hard that, and that's my own work, right. That I, that I'm, that I don't want to be curious about this. I um, just shut down a conversation when you're not curious about it. Amy's really, Amy's really good at that. Our mutual friend, Amy mm -hmm. Smith, she's good at Mm -hmm. being curious and, um, and, and because, and I love the term white friendly. I posted something on Facebook the other day. I, I will link to it in the show notes for people just talking about my story and how I used to believe different things. And now I believe this thing. I specifically left out the words white privilege, yeah. racism, white supremacy, <laughs> patriarchy. I left them out because I, cause I, I have a lot of friends now, Facebook friends on my personal page who are like my neighbors and stuff. And I knew if they were reading that and they read those words, they'd be like, nope. And it keeps growing. <laughs> So it's like I'm trying to invite people into this conversation and then I get slammed in the in private messages about how <laughs> I didn't do it right. Anyway, how you didn't do it right. I didn't yeah. do it right. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but that's that's what that is. That's being white friendly is like, hey, everybody, <laughs> big smile. So I've never heard that term before. Yeah. Is this white – so white friendly is like being palatable to white people? Yes, like using language pa- that's palatable. Yes. And, you know, we've – I feel like – you know, I think there are two schools of thought, right? There's the burn the shit to the ground, you know, call like people one. out for their racism and their white supremacy and like all of that shit and their white privilege and blah, 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 blah. And then there's the school of thought that, you know, maybe being more white friendly and and opening up the door slowly to these conversations and being in curiosity and being just a little bit, I feel like it's an accessibility issue. Yeah that that's going to be more effective. And frankly, I don't know the answer to that. I know that for me, I would rather take the latter approach. And I don't know if white friendly is a derogatory <laughs> term. Like, it sounds like it when you say it, because it sounds like white privilege, right? But I do feel that the softer approach is going to be the more effective approach. Because yeah, I mean, that's how I changed. I well, right, exactly. And I feel like anyone calling anyone else a racist or slamming their fists or slamming doors or whatever, it's like it's never going to change minds. Or that a will, misogynist that history, or male chauvinist pig. Yeah. Right. In the history of the world, that has never changed a mind as I far as I think so. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the research on that, but I know that well, how I changed was. I did, I did the history of the entire world. Oh, good, never, good, good. Yeah, I'm so glad no, I you brought something useful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I had my best friend from my sophomore year in high school up until, you know, we just, we're still friends, but we're not besties anymore. She has been a Democrat for forever. And she and I had arguments when I was younger. And then this woman that I worked with, whom I loved, her name was Linda. She was also a Democrat and got into an argument with her too. And them getting heated, I mean, I probably started it, admittedly, but it didn't change my mind. You immediately get defensive. You immediately throw anything. You're you're attacking each other and attacking each other's right. beliefs and morals. And then it, when it becomes a personal attack, fucking forget it. Nobody's listening right. to each other. You're just pissed off. So no. how I changed was exactly how you described. It was a class that I took and I wasn't expecting anything. I did not walk in there expecting to have my mind changed or anything. I was walking in there planning to get an A in a class so I can finish my bachelor's degree. And it changed my life. And it yeah. was it was the opportunity to ha- to listen and have discussions and be challenged on my beliefs but not criticized for them and not judged harshly for them. That was the key. 
that was absolutely a thousand percent the key to feel like I was still being heard and challenged at the same time. And what's also interesting is that I've been learning about white fragility and, and all of these conversations is that we end up, everybody has kind of a stamina or endurance for this conversation, for conversations like this, really any conversation. So like people listening, you might be in a relationship, like a partnership with someone where that person is so new to talking about their feelings and emotions, they get mm-hmm. exhausted after like mm-hmm. 20, 30 minutes. And they're like, I can't anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with this. You know, we have a certain amount of time or words that we can exchange with someone at a heated level or an emotional level before we get defensive, before we stop listening, before, you know, I just, I think it's the same. And, and that's, that's how we, I think that's how we make change. I agree. I I really do. I think, um, and this is what this sort of goes back to the toxic masculinity and how we invite men into this conversation, because if we are saying things like all men are trash or not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's not helpful. It turns men away from the conversation. And just like, you know, white women, it's like, it's not up to black people to, to solve race, racism in our Uh country. It's up to white people and it's not up to women to, to solve toxic masculinity. It's up to men. So we have to find ways to invite them into the conversation and understand the ways in which they are suffering from the, from the systems of oppression that also have them at the top of the food chain. Yeah. And and for the record, I, I think we kind of like went sideways on this, but toxic masculinity is also living in a culture where we do not allow men to feel and express their feelings. So yeah. we, yeah. Um, there's a great documentary that I recommended before called, I think it's called The Mask We Live In, The Mask You mm. Live In maybe. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. And it's it's really about this and how we invite men to show us their masculinity. They have to prove it. And that's through violence. It's through aggression. It's through how much yeah. money they make. It's through status. And that's not okay. And But it's sort of like this paradox. I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, right? It's like, but wait a minute. Yeah. I don't you – know, there was that SNL skit that was like sensitive ponytail guy. Do you remember him? No, but I, but this is, it's exactly the problem that we had. It's, it's a huge problem that I talk about all the time in the dating world. Go on. (laughs) I don't know what this, I don't know it, but I know it. He was like a guy with a ponytail and he would like cry all the time and it was super sensitive and emotional and like women were like, oh God. So it's, it's, uh, we, I think it's a big ask of men, right? We're like, okay, we want you to. (laughs) Okay. So here's what you have to do. You have to be like super vulnerable and like really emotional, but not too much because then we're not, then we're like, you're not, it kicks up that primal thing of like, wait a minute, you can't protect me. Yeah. Right. Like I still need you to be like manly and shit, but like, so, but you also need to be like totally vulnerable, but not too vulnerable because that's gross and right. That's weird. (laughs) Not, not too, not as vulnerable as me. It it just, it's, I don't, I don't have the answer to that. And then again, this is something I'm unpacking. And I was having this conversation with you a couple of weeks ago that my, I did not grow up in a, in a family with any violence. It was not something I saw or anything like that. And so my, my high school boyfriend, well, um, my senior year, and he ended up being my first husband. He came from a family of he was the the middle child of five boys. There were lots of fist fights with yeah. each other, and I called nine one one time because there was this fight out in the street with all these boys, and I can't even tell you how many fingernails I broke 
breaking up fights. I had elbows to the chin a couple of times. One was like a mosh pit in the 90s, which doesn't really count. But also being in the middle of fights and breaking up these fist fights. And it, it, it scared me every single time, but it became this sort of thing that I, oh God, I hit it. It like pains me to say this, but I loved him for it because mm-hmm. I could always rely, you know, if some dude disrespected me, I could just, even though I didn't have a cell phone back then, but make a phone call or just holler and five dudes would show up to kick that guy's ass. You know, the one of them being my boyfriend and his friends or brothers. And it just, it was, um, he was always defending my honor, but at the same time treating me like shit, it was very confusing. But nobody, nobody disrespected me and everybody knew who I was because I was, you know, I was known as, I won't say his name, but so-and-so's girlfriend. Oh, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're his girl. And yeah. th- I loved that. I, I loved that. And, you know, so in lies the paradox of, mm-hmm. is this some kind of biological thing that is inherent or is that something we're taught to want yeah. and to love and right. revere in men? Well, I mean, I think we can't find that out until we actually stop teaching it, right? Yeah. Because we do teach men to, you know, um, to, you know, we tell, we tell them that they fight like a girl or they're pussies or, um, you know, don't, don't cry. Right. Like man up. All I'm not going to let things. him talk to you like that. Yeah. You know, there are all these things that we, all these things that we say, say to boys, not allowing them to cry, like, don't cry, you know, like little boys little teaching boys. little boys mm-hmm. that it's not okay to cry. Right. And so, the, so here's the thing is that those emotions stay in us. Those emotions, when we, when we suppress them that way, they stay within and then they come out as violence and rage. Yeah. Like, I'm telling you guys, watch that documentary. At least watch the trailer because that's exactly yeah. what they're talking about and it's research that's done and former mm-hmm. NFL coaches and it's great. It's really good. But that's yeah. toxic masculinity. And I think too, you know, thinking back on my story, I think part of it was youth uh, because when we got older, that wasn't as cool anymore. And now yeah. I'm like, I can't even imagine. Like, if my husband did that, I would be like, Are you kidding me right now? We were at like a nature center, kind of like a zoo, and there was a dad that was doing that to some oh. guy, and his children were crying from embarrassment oh. and fear. And I just was like, Oh my god, no! It, it would not be something I would tolerate now. But I think again, I think part of it was because I was so young, and it was it was a thing back then. But it's, yeah. And going back to your question about how do we invite men into this conversation, I think that's key. I think mm-hmm. it starts with, oh, God, this is hard because I've, I've done it and it has been interesting. It starts with having a conversation with your partners um, and the men in your life that you love mm-hmm. about this. Yeah. And asking them what oh. they think. I mean, you could just start with that. Ask, right. ask them to watch that documentary with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have a husband or a partner, so I can't. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, it's okay. That's okay. Do you want to – let's no, talk I... about your dating life. That's a good segue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My dating life because it's been of pretty. This, it's been pretty easy, right? I mean, total respect. Oh, my God. It's been – It's you guys would not Great believe communication. it. Oh, my God. Just like – I'm just like teaming with amazing men. They're knocking down my door. I don't mean to be They're dismissive. Just, yeah. I know it's been – a ride. It's been a ride. And I'm not doing it anymore. I'm literally not. And I feel like it's you the quit. wrong time mm-hmm. <laughs> to 
do it because here's what was, you know, here's, what's amazing is that we also have all the men. What I'm finding is a lot of men and I also live in LA. So let's just put that out on the table. Um, our friend Kira always says that if I moved to Madison, I would like clean up, but very different <laughs> Wisconsin. <laughs> I have to move to Wisconsin. All the cheesy one. I am I'm lactose intolerant. Oh shit! <laughs> no pun intended. So you're gonna go on days. Just oh, the flatulence. Okay, oh, the flatulence. So do you want to tell a story about? I I mean, I think everyone kind of knows about just dating in this day and age, or maybe they don't. I don't know. Well, you know, so there was, I'll tell you, you know, there are two stories um, of re- uh, recent, recently of note that basically had me just shut the whole thing down. Um, one of them was this guy who, in hindsight, I'm fairly sure was married. My mm. friend Alice called it early on and I was like, no, and I'm like, I'm a New Yorker. I'm not stupid, right? I'm like, and I've been dating for a long time. But somehow this guy just kind of managed to pull the wool over my eyes. And part of it was because he kept talking about I don't know how women are dating right now. Men are such shits. Oh, he They're was sh- saying that? Yes. Interesting. And, and in hindsight, I'm like, wow, that was grooming. Yeah. He was I don't like, remember you telling me this part. He was – I may not have. Yeah, he was totally grooming me because that's one of the things that I loved about him was that we would have these great conversations about toxic masculinity. He seemed He was Australian. Mm-hmm. He seemed evolved. And he was respectful and like we had a date one night at his hotel room and I was like, just so you know, like sex is off the table. I want to come and be with you and I want to hang out with you and I want to watch a movie with you and have dinner and cuddle. But like I just don't want to feel like I'm constantly fielding because this is this is part of the experience. I think that almost all women who are listening to this now are going to know what I'm talking about, about constantly fielding your you know, constantly maneuvering so that you're not allowing them in, right? There's a, there's a game that happens where they're trying to get something that you're trying to avoid them getting. And it's this constant positioning of fielding their advances. And I was like, I just don't want to feel that. And he was like, I totally get it. And he was totally respectful and he totally didn't do it. And then he fully ghosted me. Oh yeah. I fully fully ghosted me like like hop a t- like everything was great everything was really good and i you know who knows if it was i don't who knows why but i think that it's partly because he was probably married but mm. there's more to that story that makes it just horrifying that he did that and then the other story is about this guy that i was going to meet for a date and he he offered at first, he was like, there's a great place on my corner. He offered to come to my neighborhood. And I was like, I would rather not date in my neighborhood anymore. I feel like they could play Kate's dates bingo at this point Mm -hmm. in my, all the bars in my neighborhood. So I decided, I was like, I'll come to you. That's totally fine. He said, there's a great place on my corner. I said, great. He's, and then he said, well, what would, what would you, what do you, what do you like to drink? Um, I'll have something in case you want to come back for a nightcap. This is a first date. I had never met this person. Weird question to ask. I don't know. Yeah. And I said, and I took me a long time to figure out how I was going to respond. And I channeled Amy Smith and I said, that is so generous of you. And it's so thoughtful of you to want to consider my needs in advance of our date. Um, However, 
I really don't make it a habit of going home with men um, that I've met on the internet on a first date. I hope you understand, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the next morning he canceled our date. Can't remember that. And I was like, ah, okay. And then he sort of came back around and I didn't sort of put anything together. I was just like, all right, whatever. He abruptly canceled it, said he had to go up north. Then there were some communications where I realized he was here. It was all very weird. And then it sort of got rescheduled. And he said, great. So, you know, there's parking on, I'll, there's permit parking on my block. LA has like a lot of permit parking. Like you can't park there unless you have a permit. So he said, there's permit parking on my block. I'll try to save you. I'll try to reserve you a spot and I'll bring you out a parking pass when you get there. And I thought, but this is LA. Every bar and restaurant has a, has a parking lot. And he's going to, this means that he's going to have to like wait until there's a spot on his block, park his car in the spot, come out with a permit, move his car into the garage. Then like, I mean, it just was, it was made no sense. And I said, Hey, if it's all the same to you, um, I am going to, uh, you know, I, there is a parking lot at that restaurant. So I think I'll just park there and I'll meet you at the bar. And he abruptly canceled the date. And yeah, I, I realized that. that two times I set boundaries that meant that I was not coming up to his apartment, he canceled the date. I realized that it was, it was very predatory. Uh -huh. So I woke up at, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning with my intuition screaming that there was something seriously wrong here. And that was, that was when I sent him the text that said, Hey, you know what? I think I'll just park at the parking lot. And then he canceled. And then he canceled the date. And I was like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, oh, I, no, I, uh -huh. I, I, he canceled the date and I didn't even respond. And then I blocked him. him when I no? realized when I sort of processed it after a couple of days, I was like, oh my God. And I blocked him. Cause I, I was like, this, this is not, there's something seriously wrong here. And you know what? Here's the deal. Maybe there wasn't, maybe he was really super considerate and maybe he was really new to dating and he was really trying hard. It's entirely possible Live in a culture, right? Here's the thing that we live in a culture where, you know, and he's a dad, so I don't know. He's got a dad daughter. Like I just don't know. <laughs> but we live in a culture where I am no longer willing to put myself at risk in that way, and that's what it is. Dating in 2018 in Los Angeles is putting yourself at risk every single day, and because mm -hmm. we meet on the internet, we meet strangers on the internet, and. I just don't feel safe enough doing it. Mm. I just don't. And fortunately, I have a very strongly yeah. honed intuition that I listen to, you know, and I just thought, <sighs> my God, if I had been another woman at another time, I may not have listened to mm -hmm. this intuition and I could have been in serious danger. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, my dating history isn't as long as yours, but uh, yeah. Ugh. I mean, I've been in, I've been in some dangerous situations like in Tijuana, Mexico, getting, getting drugs, getting drugs for like, maybe we shouldn't be here at 1030 at night. To, I don't know. Is it just me or being down there by myself? <laughs> yeah. Getting illegal drugs yep. to bring back over the border into the United States, which could have put me in Mexican jail, not the United States. But anyway, all right. Well, here's what I think. I just want to kind of summarize because we've sort of been over a lot. I think that it's what it's important for people to do. What I want people to walk away with is if you are new to the term rape huh. culture, 
do some research. I did a quick Google search and quite honestly, the articles that I read weren't great. So I think I'm going to, yeah, maybe I wasn't, I just typed in like, what is rape culture? Maybe, I don't know. Everyone's Google's different, but I'm going to find some articles and maybe some great YouTube videos to put in the (laughs) show notes. I highly encourage again, everybody to watch the documentary, um, the mask you wear. I think that's the name of it. And also I think it's, it's maybe, you know, for the listeners to do some thinking about how they're also participating in, in, in patriarchy in this culture. Cause I know yep. I sure as shit am yep. still in certain yep. ways. Like there's still totally. today ways that yeah. I'm realizing like, Oh shit. <laughs> that. That thing. It's in the language that we use. I actually read an article where this particular person was saying that the term <laughs> fuck you fuck you. Is Don't take that away from part me. of rape culture. And I'm like, really? Don't take that away from yeah, me. Cut it. <laughs> Please. I beg you. <laughs> Cause fork you just isn't the same. <laughs> Doesn't cut it. But yeah, just I think educating yourself on what it looks like, how we all participate in it, mm. and also the thing that I'm working on now, I'm I'm going to attend yeah. a webinar. If it hasn't happened yet, I'll put a link in the show notes to it about consent and how to talk to our children about consent. Because I know a lot of people are asking me questions about how do I talk to my kids about this, about this? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. I'm still learning. But there's a person that I'm learning from. Um, his name is Dr. T. Oh, cool. And uh, I was introduced to him by my friend Elizabeth Dialto. I actually signed up for an anti-racism class that he's offering. I'll have to tell you about it, Kate. And he is also doing this webinar um, with these two colleagues of his on not just consent about sex. It's about teaching your children how to have conversations or how to tell people, don't touch my body or I don't want to hug, those types of things. So I think that's important. And then thinking about how to have this conversation with our peers and our friends and our neighbors and our hairdressers. And as a mom. The men in our life. I know. This is like, you know, as a mom with a 13-year-old boy, I'm always like, challenging. Uh. (laughs) As we unpack it ourselves. I actually have a question for you before we wrap up, because I was talking to my 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 friend and colleague Rebecca on the last podcast episode, and we were talking about no. the argument that people are are giving about, um, you know, now I'm worried about my son being falsely accused. And um, there was yeah. a woman who was challenging me in the Instagram comments, the v- very rare time I did choose to to um, respond to someone. And she said, I, I can't even remember what I had said to prompt this question. And she said, oh, Something like to the effect of, are you one of those moms who think are raising your son so well that he would never, ever do something like that? And I didn't respond to her because I, I knew she was just, you know, kind of poking the dragon. Anytime anybody pokes and says, yeah. like, do, anytime someone's bringing in your parenting, that is passive aggressive shaming and I won't have it. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not doing this. Right. So um, yep. I think that my answer right. to that is, you know, I don't think that my child yeah. is incapable of doing heinous things. I think that I I just would be, I don't know, like, would I be massively disappointed and heartbroken? Of course I would. But I I think that it's, I just, I'm I'm just not worried about it. I'm not, I'm more worried about my daughter navigating this world as a woman 
and navigating yeah. toxic masculinity and misogyny yeah. and and the harassment that she is no doubt going to – I started dealing with yeah. it when I was 13 and she's nine now. I'm more – that keeps me up at night. That makes me angry. That makes me sick more so than worrying about my son being falsely accused. So my question for you is are you worried about your son being falsely accused? Why or why not? I'm not wor- – I, I, no, I'm not worried about him being falsely accused. I'm more worried about – there's a great episode of Law & Order SVU on this um, – that I can tell you about and put it in the show notes because I made him watch it. And it's, here's what I'm worried about. I think the conversation with my son is, I don't think you're a rapist, right? But I think that when, when you get too drunk to be able to control yourself and you get out of hand, you make really bad choices, right? So it's a conversation about alcohol use and drug use even more so than, than, than rape necessarily. Um, because I think anybody can behave really badly when they're too, oh, God, I especially have. teenagers, teenage boys, like, yeah. come on. So yes. Um, and I think that, um, this, this episode of law and order I thought was really well done because at the end of it, even the girl didn't want him prosecuted the, the victim. It was like, it was kind mm-hmm. of minor. It was, he pushed something too far. He thought she was into it. He pushed too far. He was drunk. He wasn't paying attention. He wasn't taking her cues and he pushed. And it turned out that he was prosecuted for rape. He lost his, his scholarship to Stanford. He didn't, he got kicked out of Stanford before he was about to go. He was on the registry for life. And, you know, it was a great example of an almost innocent, right? Not necessarily innocent, but a, but a a almost innocent situation having ramifications for the rest of your life. And it's no joke. It sounds like it's like slightly gray area, yeah. but yeah. It, yeah, it depends on it's subjective. And, yeah. Uh, and it's, and, and, and yet you're living with those, with the, those consequences forever. And it wasn't exactly gray, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, but he was so remorseful in sobriety. Like, mm-hmm. you know, once he realized what had happened, he was so remorseful and it was too late. And yeah. that's what I worry about more than more than him being falsely accused. I do not worry about my son being falsely accused. I more worry about um, him doing something dumb. Yeah. You know? I talked to my, my husband about this and he – because, you know, I don't have that experience of walking through the world as a teenage boy. And my husband said – and we were talking about our son and he said, I don't worry about him as much as I worry about the influence of his peers. Yeah. Yes. And, and I, and my husband was speaking from experience and that made me That's not very, that's not, that doesn't make me feel better. Thanks, Jay. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome for that. So here's the thing too, before we wrap up is that I want to ask all those people who are so very worried about their sons being falsely accused. Okay. Then when are you going to have a conversation with your son about consent? When are you going to have a conversation with your son about what's okay and what's not okay about drinking, about their peers' influence, about all of that, you know, showing them documentaries, having them take classes. And if there's not classes at their school or at their college or in their area, then finding one where there is, because I think that we have to be proactive about it and we can't pretend like, oh, not my son. My son would never do that. All of our sons would. You can't, you can't pretend. All of our sons are capable. I think. I'm sure that Brock Turner's mom never would have thought that her son was would do something like that. And Brett Kavanaugh's mom, same yeah. thing. 
you don't, it just, you can't, I think we can't, we can't put our heads in the sand and pretend like our child would never no, do that. No, we really can't. We really, really can't. And I think, I think you're doing a disservice. If you well, think and that. again, I think that these are probably the same women who are um, denying that it happens or that are saying, that, holding right. up the patriarchy. I'm going to have to make a theme song about, about that. upholding the patriarchy. <laughs> yes. A little jingle. <laughs> um, yeah. I used I used to be right there. A hundred percent, right? And I think that that's and I think that that's it's yeah, it is the same conversation. They're the same, yeah. <laughs> They're not easy conversations either, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just everyone's gonna be uncomfortable. I mean, I don't know anyone who like can't wait to have the sex talk with their kids. I know some people who don't even have it at all. Or just tell their kids like don't do oh. it. You know, and, and I just oh that's not helpful. Please that's don't not helpful. Do that. It's not helpful because they're going to learn about it from reality TV oh, and their and friends and porn. and porn. They're going to learn about it from yeah, porn. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. No. Ugh. Okay. Another conversation for another yes. time. I think that this probably – this episode has made everyone really uncomfortable. It's made me extremely uncomfortable. I've had to take off my flannel shirt and my bra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the straps are digging in and I'm like, ugh. This conversation. And you're one of like my greatest friends. It's still, I say that because it's still greatly uncomfortable for me and we don't have the answers. And this has just been an honest conversation between two friends. Um, Thanks, my love. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful that you asked me to talk about this. I, you know, I also feel very uncomfortable and like, did we, did we do it right? But that's the whole point. (laughs) We don't know. That's the whole point. (laughs) The whole point. And I don't think it. And I want. I want to, because you've been so gracious with your time to come on here and volunteered yourself, tell everybody what you do. And if that, because your work might speak to some of my listeners and I believe wholeheartedly in what you do in your work and I endorse you a thousand percent. So. Well, I adore you and thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I work with women um, who are either trying to decide whether or not to leave their marriages. Um, That's mostly what I do. And then I also work with women through the divorce process, um, through the emotional, logistical, strategic um, aspects, not the legal. And, you know, a lot of the work that I do with women in the should I stay or should I go arena is around this, around uncovering layers of patriarchal oppression that – you know, a lot of women who are waking up to this stuff are suddenly realizing that these marriages are exactly a mirror of what's going on in our culture and they want out and they don't know how to do it because they're mm-hmm. still wrapped up in it. And for the record, you're not pro-divorce no. and anti No, you're not. No. Oh my God. Listen, I am pro-healthy, happy relationships. I, I'm also a relationship coach. So I, you know, I, I love healthy, happy relationships. I do not want people to get divorced if there's work to be done. And I think that's, that is, you know, what I, what I do is help people do undo all the work. If you're like, is there just one more thing I haven't tried? Like there actually might be. And I want to help you do every ounce of that work because the statistics are that 50% of first marriages end in divorce 68% of second marriages end in divorce and 73% of third marriages end in divorce because we don't do the work to figure out what went wrong the first time. Mm -hmm. We just get rid of the husband or the spouse and we replace them with another one and it doesn't work. So I help you like uncover all of the rocks and dig through all of the shit um, so that you can actually be sure about your decision one way or the other. Or if you're like me, you do the work while you're in your second marriage, so you don't become one yes, of your sisters. Exactly. Because <laughs> exactly. I can totally see that happening. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yep. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone. Thanks for staying with us. This has been a longer than usual episode and I kind of had a feeling it would be, we had a lot to unpack and Kate and I tend to be a bit verbose (laughs) when we're together. So thank you for listening. I know your time is extremely valuable. So I am so grateful for your time. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye everybody.